0: Well, good morning, Dorisville. We have just had an incredible time of worship. It's just one of those days I'm very grateful for our worship team, for Donnie and the special music, and just to be a part of a church like this. God bless you guys. It's great to be here with you today. So what do you think about the video? Doesn't it seem like life really is incredibly unfair? And by the way, it is. It is. And what we want to address today, I think probably, I told someone before church, that I believe this scripture today, and the, actually the truth of this scripture, could well be a game changer, a life changer for some of us who wrestle with the issue of fairness and unfairness. Now certainly for the guy today, and it's, it's spelled like Asaph, but it's Asaph. And Asaph was a worship leader in a contemporary of King David, the second king of Israel. And he was a worship leader in the temple, a a marvelous worship leader. And we want to take Psalm 73 today. And it is his wrestling with what seems to be incredibly unfair. Now, in the process, we're going to unpack a couple of things. We won't totally answer because I think there's not an answer. But we won't totally answer. But we'll kind of like skirt around the issue of if God is good and loving. Then why, do, why does he allow all the things that are ugly in this world happening? Um, we're going to skirt around that, and maybe perhaps some of the teaching today, you can apply to, to some of that. that. That might help some. Um, we're definitely going to look at, again, why does it seem like that people that like, are really not godly just seem to do so well? And then we all know people who are pretty godly, and their life is, like, terrible. Why does that happen? And that's certainly what us staff wrestled with in Psalm 73. So, yeah, I, I rarely say anything about chain, you know taking notes because i got to be honest with you. If there's any note-taking, when we go to a conference, my wife is going to do it. We went to a conference this week in Nashville. She had her iPad out tapping. and I'm just sitting there listening, you know. I'm not a note-taker. But But this is just one of those things. If you are a note-taker, you might want to write some notes down. And also, I... I think probably this will be on the internet this week. Perhaps you want to go back and listen to it again. Because I think it's something we really, really wrestle with. It's something that's huge um, to us. Now, myopathy is, if I understand it right, is an optical term. That, that means that a person um, can only see what is underneath their nose. It's what they can see very, very close. Uh, they cannot see far off. And, and if they do see far off, it's very blurry. And the only way that, that myopathy can be cured is by going to the eye doctor, such as Dr. Benna. And he's going to give you contacts or glasses, some kind of corrective action, LASIK now. Some people do LASIK. And it corrects the vision so that they can see far away. And that's a very serious condition. Imagine if you lived in a time when there were no eye doctors. Perhaps you go to Africa where those people just deal with those kind of issues without the hope of a clear vision. That would be very, very difficult. But what is more difficult... Is, is really uh, when you have a, a spiritual myopathy. And that is that you cannot see anything that decides what's right in your face. You can't see the distance. And what happened with, with Asaph is that he had spiritual myopathy. Alright. And praise God. He went and got the corrective action. That he needed. So take your Bibles. Let's look at Psalm seventy-three together. Um, it's just incredible. It really is. Chunk of verses. I'll do my best to make sure we move along. So, uh, so Brent, you're not serving supper instead of lunch, okay? We'll make sure that we move along pretty quickly. All right. Now it starts out with a, a truth. Now, but really, what happens is, is we see Asaph. He gives us this truth that he knew, and he's come back to before he digresses into what happened in his life. So what he tells at the beginning is what he truly believes he just got off course. And here's what he says. Indeed, God is good to Israel and to the pure in heart. Now, let's just pause there just for a moment. God is good. Now, that does not depend on our circumstances. It does not depend on what universe you live in. It doesn't depend on how your life is right now. It it doesn't depend on anything. The characteristic truth of God is that God is is good. In fact, we have a little way we do that. We say God is good all the time. and all the time. God is good. But it's so much more than a QC saying. Now, if I was if I had my Bible and if I was taking notes, I would underline that because what happens in also case is that he loses sight of that. He takes his vision off of that and puts it on something else. So you've got to be willing to trust God. Remember, we are a people of faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, the Bible says. So we're a people of faith. So we've got willing to exercise faith. We've got to be willing to say we believe that God is good. Not only in certain circumstances. Not only when our life is going good, God is good. In fact, you know, there are different taglines in prayer. You know, one of the ones I use forever is lead God in direct. I used to start every prayer I prayed with. Our most gracious heavenly father. When you hear uh, from brother David, myself, you'll hear for our good and your glory. Those are taglines that we have. And and this is more than a tagline. When we say our good, God really is interested in our good. But the problem is our good isn't always as we see what he thinks is our good. And there comes the conflict. So write it down. God is good to Israel and to the pure in heart. So this is addressed to the ones who love God, to the ones who have experienced His grace. Now, verse number two. This is when he starts being very transparent. He says, but as for me, my feet almost slipped. My steps nearly went astray. Asim says that there was a time in his life that even though he was a worship leader and good at it, even though he was known in the Bible, he wrote many of the Psalms, even though he's an anchor in the word of God, there is a time, he says, when I almost turned away, when my feet almost slipped, I almost lost my faith. And there are many things that can, can cause that, but it will happen to each one of us as we progress through life. You'll encounter things in your life that, that you really go, wait a minute, wait a minute, I heard a story, it just still just touches my heart. At this conference, we sat with a guy named Dan. And Dan's a pastor in, in Alabama. And Dan had a son. His name is Daniel. And Daniel made a professional faith in Jesus Christ. Was raised in a, in a home, a Christian home. And, and finished up in a pastor's home. And then he went to Afghanistan. And in combat. He was one of the unfortunate ones that really saw combat. He saw his 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 brothers in, in, in arms blown away. He, he saw one of his, his brothers, just his head blown off. And it really scarred him. And... He lost his faith. His dad's words. He's lost his faith. He said, I'm just not sure I can believe. You know, how can a good God allow this stuff? I'm not sure I believe that anymore. And for you, it may have been, you know, we've heard the dreaded word cancer around. It could have been loss of a child. We've experienced that through several others. I remember several times I've told my wife, Judy, I said, Judy, this could be a faith breaker. Speaking about a circumstance that one of the people I love, my church family, I was going through, I could say this could be a faith breaker. So there are things like that. And us definitely came across that. He said, but as for me, my feet almost slipped. My steps nearly went astray. And here's what happened. Verse 3. For I envied the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He goes, I, I, I envied, I found myself arrogant, arrogant, uh, uh, envying the arrogant, the ones who, who were so prideful and, and just didn't care about God at all. And then I saw something. I saw that the, the wicked seemed to be doing a lot better than me. And we've all seen that. We've all seen that. Now, I think, I think this is a two-pronged thing, first off. It, it's, it's, it's first off this... Hey, God, why are they prospering? But I think part two is this. Why aren't I? The first one is, God, why are they so prosperous? Because, you know, God, if I was prospering too, it wouldn't be so obvious. But I get up and I I do the God thing. I'm a worship leader in church. I'm doing all the right things. And God, I look at them and they hate you. And they just seem to have everything going for them. And I I guess, okay, God, that would be okay with me if I was getting a deal too. But I'm not getting a deal. In fact, my life stinks. In fact, you know, I have some real questions about if you love me, why are you allowing these things to happen to me? So he really wrestled with this. And what happened, you see the word in verse number three, I saw. Remember how Peter got out of the boat? We talked about that last night, I believe it was. When Peter got out of the boat... And he said, you know, Jesus said, you know, I, he said to Jesus, hey, I want to come out and walk on the water too. And Jesus said, come on. He got out of the boat and then the Bible says, and when he saw the wind that it was boisterous and the waves that they were boisterous, he took his eyes off Jesus and put him on his circumstances. That's exactly what happens here. Asaph takes his eyes off God is good, what he knows to be true, knows to be true, God is good, takes it off and starts looking at the neighbors. And we do this. We look around and we're faithful. We, we try to raise our kids the right way. Um, you know, we, we give 10 or 15% of our income. We're faithful in our giving. Uh, we come to church. I mean, I could sleep in this morning, but no. I go to church and sometimes y'all say, and not only do I go to church, I go to church two times. And then some people say, no, 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 you don't understand. I go to church three times. I mean, just incredibly. But then all of a sudden we, we look off of what God is. God is good. And we start saying, but what about him? You know, he's such a vile politician. He's so wrong. And what about them? It's my boss. Well, my boss is such a jerk. And he makes twice what I do. And, he, and he's got a beautiful family and a beautiful kids. You know, his kids' teeth are straight. And now I have to go to an orthodontist. And, and he's so secure. And he's got all of this. And we go, wait a minute. I'm the one serving God. Why is he doing so well and I'm not? And this really came from a guy. I mean, and again, most of us probably are not secure enough. To say, if I'd ask you to raise your hand if you ever wrestled with this, maybe a couple of hands would go up. But the truth is, if you walk with Jesus a while, chances are you've dealt with this. Now, now let me say this. Even if, you're, even if your life is good... Even if you're one of the ones that can live in a very nice home in the right part of town and drive the right kind of car. And you can trade cars. And when you go trade cars, you don't have to worry about this used used new because you can afford a new one. Even then, you've got to look at the injustice sometimes of places like Hollywood and Washington and go, God, what is up? I mean, I know I've got it pretty good, but what's up with them? And that's the issue that we want to address today. Now, in verses 4 through 12, and we're going to go real quickly through these, he just kind of describes... What he sees. When he took his eyes off of God is good. Here's how he saw things. Now, these are not necessarily true. uh, Totally. But when he looked aside, this is how he saw things. He saw, first off, verse 4, they have an easy time until they die. It doesn't really seem that way. I mean, you see politicians and you see actors, you see sports people and, and... these suckers, you know, you just see one of these guys on TV and you know she's got to be 75 and she looks like she's 45. Truth is, she's probably had her skin stretched until her eyeballs are crooked okay that 's probably the truth, but the bottom line is, man, why do they get to live so long? I mean, they go out and party, they have the wild parties, they do drugs and all the other things but but man, it just seems like you know it 's not fair that that they have an easy time until they die, and while well, their bodies are, are are well fed I mean they have plenty to eat, but not only that they they have the good life they can afford caviar uh, all the the snails and and uh, and some kind of tuna that i can 't pronounce uh, all the things you know they got all these things they are not they 're not in trouble like others. No, they're not. Um, they're not afflicted like most people. Therefore, pride is their necklace and violence covers them like a garment. Now, this is really cool. You know, the pride thing is malice, okay? And violence covers them. is, is like um, um, they're, they're angry. When they think about the things of God, they're anti-God. Fifty years ago, that would have been pretty rare. But you and I know, what is the hotbed of anti-God? Hollywood. Come on, right? Here's the crazy part. You know, back when they were having the presidential election and many of the top politicians uh, came out and endorsed a certain candidate. Everybody listened to him. Everybody's going, wow, you know, so-and-so in Hollywood. You know, he's a famous actor. He's a famous actress. And it came out and endorsed this certain candidate. Wow. Write this down. Money does not equal intelligence. Money does not equal intelligence. But, but listen, in our culture, it seems to. You know, you get, you get certain sports stars, stars and they get up there and they talk. And like everybody listens because they have wealth. And in their mind, you know, if he's got money, he must be smart. No, he's got money. He may not have any brains. Money does not equate to that at all. So, so, so as, as, as a list of this says, man, pride is their necklace. They're so arrogant. And violence covers them like a garment. Verse 7, their eyes bulge out from fatness and the imagination of their hearts all run wild. Look at verse number 8. They mock. And have we seen that? I mean, come on. How many times have you heard people of wealth, particularly in Hollywood and Washington, Christians are stupid. If you actually believe that Jesus junk, you're stupid. Come on now, you know I'm right. I mean, they think that if you have faith, that people of faith... ...are people of lack of intelligence... ...seem though like they think they've got it... ...they mock, they speak maliciously... Um, ...they arrogantly threaten oppression... ...don't we see that? They bully people in, of influence with money... ...they like to bully... ...we see that in, in again in, with the law scene... Uh, with, ...with the ACLU... Um, ...we see that certainly with, with other areas... ...they want to bully... They, ...they want to bully the oppressed... I have ...you know people with the money have the power... ...and those in power want to rule... ...and, and the crazy part is... ...in this country... There ain't half of them that have a lick of sense, But because they have that influence and money, they want to tell us how to run the country and how to live our lives. Verse number 9, they, they set their mouths against heaven and their tongues strut across the earth. I really like what the commentary said. They act like they control heaven and own the earth. I like that. They act like they control heaven, that God's at their beck and call. Uh, hello, that's not the case. And that because they're wealthy and rich, they own the earth. How many people you know in Harrisburg, because they have wealth, they want to spread that influence around. And again, Harrisburg, Illinois, the United States, it doesn't matter. That they act like they own the earth. He goes on and says this. Therefore, this is the scary part. Therefore, his people turn to them and drink in their overflowing words. They believe it and they buy it. Some of you today, again, and I'm not going to mention name, but some person in influence in Hollywood or somewhere else endorsed a certain candidate and you said, well, he must be a good person. I think I'll vote for him. The people of God have a tendency to believe what the people of the world say. I'm telling you, they're not as smart as you think they are. If they were that smart, they would have been following Jesus a long time ago. Amen? I really believe that. I really believe that. So, So the people of God have a real tendency... To believe what the wealthy people... He must, he must be smart. He must know what he's talking about because he has wealth. And that's the fallacy. It's a real dangerous thing. And unfortunately, we do see it in the world today. In the church today, we see that. All right? So therefore, as people turn to them and drink in their overflowing words, the wicked say... Check this out. The wicked say, how can God know? How can God see everything? Does the Most High know everything? It's a statement of doubt. Come on, you really don't think there's a God. You really don't think this God knows everything. You certainly don't believe that this God is omnipresent. You can't believe He's omnipotent and He's all-powerful. You can't believe He's all-knowing. Surely you don't believe that. And here's the deal. Guess how Satan got Eve to sin in Genesis chapter 3. Did God really say that you could not? Come on, come on. You really you really believe this god stuff? You really believe? Now listen. God has said you will die. You will not surely die. And this is how they win over Christian. There are so many Christians today who have walked away from their faith, are fragile in their faith because they've listened to the craziness of the world. Now again, 50 years ago, this was a problem, but not a big problem. But in the culture we live in today, by the way, we live in a nation of 313 people, of which 267 million are lost. 80% of the population lives in the major cities. Like we know our experiences with Chicago, how they control the political process in Illinois. So so there's there's a great influence, a danger of influence, for us today as believers in Christ. And it not only causes us to be influenced, but causes us to doubt God. We start kind of wondering, well, why am I even doing this for? So, so Asif gives us a, a kind of a review statement, verse 12. Look at them, the wicked. He wants to make sure he understands. Look at them. Now, I'm not talking about the, the believers who are, are doubting God now because they listen. Look at them, the wicked. They are always at ease and they increase their wealth. Their life seems to be so easy. And everything they touch turns to gold. I can't fear. I'm at the age now where people say, so what are you going to do when you retire? I say retire? You've got to be kidding me. I said, first off, I don't want to. I like teaching the Word of God, so I'm planning on doing that as long as I can somewhere. i like to do that until I die. But here's the deal. I send the annuity board, and again, I'm at that age still where a lot of my investments are in stocks, and so I send the annuity board money, and they lose it. That's how the stock market works these days. I keep sending them Lots of my salary. And they keep saying thank you for it. No, not the annuity board. the stock market. I shouldn't blame the annuity board. And stock market says, thank you for that investment. Just keep giving it to us. And I know, I know, I know, I know. You know I even asked Tom Franks one day who placed I know he's an investment in the stock market. And I said, so Tom, what about it? You think I ought to keep sending money? He goes, keep sending. One day it'll turn around. I'm starting to wonder. I'm starting to wonder, will it? So, but it seems like, again, those, you know, the evil people, the wicked people, everything they touch turns to gold. It's just incredible. All right? And this really bothered Asaph. He, he just couldn't figure it out. So in verse 13, he makes a statement or asks a question that, again, depending on how far down this road you've ever traveled about doubting God and looking at the prosperity of the wicked, depending on how far you've traveled, you've asked it. Now keep in mind, this is a real man. This is a real man. And he was a strong believer in God. He was a worship, one of the primary worship leaders in David's time. Here's the question he asked. Did I purify my heart and wash my hands in innocence for nothing? Did I purify my heart and wash my hands in innocence for nothing? Because wait a minute, so all these years I have followed God, followed God, and obeyed God, and obeyed God, and obeyed God, and obeyed God, and now I'm looking and I'm no better off than I was, and they are so much better off than I am. Why did I do this anyway? Why should I keep on being innocent? Why should I keep washing my hands of evil and sin? It doesn't seem to be paying off. Now, you've asked this question. Somewhere in your heart, you've asked this. And, and thank you. Uh, thank you, modern Christianity and the Western culture. Thank you, too many pastors and perhaps this one. In days gone by and I'm not careful, I, I still do it. That seemed to imply this. Trust Jesus, it's a good deal, you'll do better. Trust Jesus, it's a good deal, you'll you'll stay healthier. Trust Jesus, it's a good deal, you won't lose your job. Trust Jesus, it's a good deal, your kids will grow up right. Trust Jesus, it's a good deal, your marriage will be right. And, And consequently, with that kind of a thought process, that, wait a minute, wait a minute, the reason that I need to trust Jesus is so I'll have a better life. You know the real problem with that? It ain't got a bone's worth of scripture. But boy, it preaches good. The guy who preaches at the largest church in America preaches that kind of theology. He simply says this. God wants you to have the best life now. You just trust God and He will give you, give you, give you. Some of you have sent money to preachers that you heard on television who promised you if you'd send so much, then you'd get this much back. Over and over and over again. And we've seen this in Western culture. And we've done, I've, I've done in counseling. Comes in with a broken marriage. Well, let's pray and receive Jesus and see if Jesus will put it back together for you. Implying and promising that, that God is Mr. Fix It. And boy, if we'll just put our faith in Him, that He'll fix everything and we'll have our best life now. There's not a shred of Scripture for that. Now, you pull a few out of context. But as far as the, the, uh, the consistencies of the scripture, you won't find that. In fact, come on, use common sense. Do you see that in the entire book of Acts? I've seen them getting beat, murdered, head lobbed off, thrown out of town, shipwrecks, um, flogged. I've seen that, but I don't see a health and wealth gospel or trusting Jesus so I can have my best life now theology in the book of Acts. And that's the early church. In fact, I don't see it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. I don't see it in the epistles of Paul. I don't see it in Peter's writings. I don't see it in John's writings and whoever wrote Hebrews. I don't see it. And you won't either, if you're honest. So, whoa, 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 Dwayne. Why then did I trust Jesus? Well, I'm not sure why you trusted Jesus. But let me tell you the valid reason why you trusted Jesus. The valid reason is is that you are a sinner. And as a sinner, you are separated from holy God. And without the intervention of God in your life, you're going to spend eternity in a place called hell, separated from God. In a place of punishment uh, made for those, the devil, those angels, and those who reject Jesus Christ. And hopefully, one day you came to your senses and said, wait a minute, I'm a sinner and God is holy. And you started believing and you, and you believe that Jesus Christ died on a Roman cross paying the price for your sins. Jesus did what you could not do and could never do and that's atoned for your sin. And you believe that he was the son of God. You believe he died. You believe he resurrected. You turn from your sin. There's a, there's a phrase. You, you repented of your sins and you chose to follow Jesus. Now, here's the deal. The reason that's so huge is, is you're not going to hell. You didn't get saved, so you'd have a great life now. And does God bless people? Certainly does. Does God bless obedience? I believe He does. But the greatest thing God did for you is He gave you eternal life. Not that He promised you all tricks and presents during this life, but that He gave you eternal life. And the perspective is this. I'll say it now. I'll say it again in a few moments. Their perspective is this. Just like the myopathy, where you can see only close. When you get your vision corrected, you start seeing into eternity. And that's what happens to our friend Asip. That's what happens to him. He gets his perspective back in line. So, he, But he asks a question. He says, did I did I purify my heart? Did I follow Jesus and for nothing? I mean, I had someone say to me this. You know, I was talking about the fact of prayer. That, that just because we pray a prayer, if it doesn't fit God's will, guess what? It's not going to happen. God answers prayers according to his will. And again, you can rebuff me on that. It's scriptural. Jesus did it in the garden, and First John records it. So Jesus answers the prayers in accordance with his will, not just the wish list we come. Lord, I'm going to pray for a red Mustang right now. Let's see if it pops up. Because I sure like to have a red Mustang. You know, aren't you glad your kid, when he prayed for that Abram's tank, he didn't get it? Amen? So, so he says this, you know, he says, I, did I, did I follow Jesus for nothing. Now now watch, 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 watch. When you fall in this path, it's not pretty. Verse 14. For I am afflicted all day long. Doesn't that describe sometimes your faith? You get up and go, why am I going to church today? Why write the check? Why teach those kids in preschool department? Why go to... Why, why, why? I am afflicted all day long and punished every morning. He says it just seems like. It just seems like... That not only is it an equal trade, there's no benefit to trusting Jesus. There's no benefit from following Jesus. And again, that changes as your perspective changes. Now, now, Asaph does something that I want to encourage you so much today. And I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to decide how bold I'm going to be. Verse 15. If I had decided to say these things aloud, I would have betrayed your people. You know, look at Ecclesiastes 3, chapter 1 says this. For everything, there is a season and a time for every purpose under the heavens. There is a time to keep your mouth shut. This is one of those times. If you are wrestling with your faith, let me encourage you. There's a couple of people you all talk. You might want to talk to, your, to one of the pastors. If you're friends with Brother David, you might want to go see Brother David or Brother Brenner or myself. You might want to find a spiritual counselor and talk to them. You certainly want to talk to God. But what you don't need to do is spew your doubts and disappointments to everybody in Harrisburg. Amen's right. If I could close McDonald's in the barbecue barn in the mornings, I would do it. Because too many of God's people go down there and tell them why or how they're disappointed, or God and His church, or somebody. And it hurts the cause of Christ. Osip had the smart spiritually to know when not to speak. He knew if he shared this, particularly because he was a person of influence, if I share this, it will hurt the people of God. There is a time not to speak. We need to learn that time not to speak. I think, think, you know, know, God will obviously work through Osip's life, and he wants to work through our doubts and our confusion. But during that time, just add this to your prayer list in the morning. Father, help me be careful with my mouth. I keep telling you all this. I make my excuse of phraseology. I make my living talking. And for a guy who talks a lot about controlling your tongue, I have the amazing ability to do stupid things verbally. I know that. And it's something I pray about all the time. God, in fact, I say, you know, the Bible says, out of the buns of the heart the mouth speaks. I want you to know something. This pastor who wrestles with this said, God, would you please fill my brain with you? God, would you fill my heart with you? Because what's in my brain and my heart has a tendency to come out of my mouth. So that might be a good prayer for you to add in your morning prayer time. God, help me not to speak when I should not speak. Okay. Verse 16. This is where it gets. He's on his way home. When I tried to understand all this, it seemed hopeless. When I tried to figure all this out, it seemed hopeless. And you wrestled with this, particularly... Why does, why does a good God allow bad things? Why does bad things happen to good people? And then there's no perfect answer. I'm not trying. Well, I would write a book and we'd all be wealthy. There's no perfect answer to that. But but if you have looked around and saw wicked people with lots of wealth and their kids don't get sick and they don't get cancer and they don't this and they don't that and they do this and do that, then it may seem like a hopeless thing. I know a lot of people wrestle with why God allows the things He allows so here's what Asaph did. When I tried to understand all this, it seemed hopeless. Until I came or entered into God's sanctuary. the The game changer for Asaph was I love. Someone told me this. They were talking about one of their kids had done something wrong, and I've used the phraseology. I really like it. Asaph had a come to Jesus meeting. Have any parents here had a come-to-Jesus meeting with your kids? Uh-huh. Well, well, Osip had a come-to-God meeting. He entered into a sanctuary, and in the presence of God, write that down, in the presence of God, God began working on his perspective. He helped him see what was going on. He, when he got into the presence of God and understood what God was, again, kind of what God was doing, he got his eternal perspective back. He, he, his myopic uh, uh, spiritual condition was changed. He stopped from seeing right here to seeing out there. He, he, he stopped from seeing what God allowed and did right here to what God was going to do one day. Now, look at me. This is huge. This is huge. Some of you had this vision right here. And all you can see is this. Your best life now. And then you see what they get and you're going, it's not fair, it's not right. Let me tell you something. I don't want to get ahead of the ball game. But you have no idea. Because the Bible says, you know, I have not seen, you no know, ears not heard, the mind has not conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Now you say amen to that. That's easy. That's easy. This is not your best life now. It's coming. It's coming. Again, just hang on. It's coming. So, so when he saw this, he, he had this face-to-face meeting with God. And, he, and the Bible says this. Then, verse, verse 17, second part. Then I understood their destiny. When he got the right perspective, all right, and he saw afar off, he started seeing not temporally, but eternally. And it changed because he saw the rich, wicked man, what was coming for him. I've used this illustration so often, but usually on a Sunday night or Wednesday night. You know, if if there was a table here spread with with the richest foods of Babylon, I mean, everything you can imagine. Good For me, it would be like, oh, gosh, I don't know. It would probably be like macaroni and cheese for sure. And don't give me that vault macaroni and cheese. I want the kind mama makes with nine different kinds of cheeses in it. And, and, you know, not a piece of pecan pie, but the whole thing. And and by the way, it was one that that Christy made at Barbecue Barn. Corrected that error. (laughs) You you, didn't come to church on Sunday night. You get this stuff. Okay, so a whole pecan pie and then rolls and mashed potatoes. I I think I would go fried chicken. I'm a Baptist preacher. That's the right thing to do. I would go fried chicken and green beans with so much bacon in them, you can't see the beans for the bacon. Okay, that's that's kind of what I got. That's That's just a sampling, okay? That's just a sampling. And over here is bread and water. Okay? And then there's a man standing here and he has to choose between the bread and water or the feast. And so he walks over and starts eating the feast. And you say, well, I would do the exact same thing. But then you realize something. The man's in handcuffs and leg arms. And what he's eating is his last meal before he's executed. Now, which meal looks better now? The bread and water, doesn't it? Bread and water. My dear brothers and sisters, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. This is just 60, 70, if you're lucky, 80, if you're really blessed, 90 years on this earth. You're going to spend eternity in a place called heaven. And it's going to be wonderful. And the ones who reject Jesus Christ, their destiny is eternal separation from God in a place of punishment.
1: They may look like they've got it
0: all now, but in the future they've got nothing. File that away. It will change your life when you start to understand the eternal perspective and the world when they seem to have it all, but this is all they get. He goes on to say, here's how he describes it. Indeed, you, capital U, God, you have put them in slippery places. You make them fall into ruin. And let me say this. This is their own choice in doing. God's not picking and choosing saying you, you, you. I just don't believe it. I know some guys trying to run around saying that God chooses you, you, you to damnation and you, you, you to, to salvation. Sorry, I, I just can't buy that. As long as John three sixteen is part of the Bible, I can't, I can't buy it. But what I am saying is these people by their choice have rejected God and our we would put in new testament terminology and grace terminology as they have rejected Jesus Christ and the free pardon of sin. And so by that they've been put on a slippery place. You made them fall into ruin. How suddenly they will come a desolation. They come to an end, swept away by terrors like one walking from a dream. Lord, when arising, you will despise their image. In other words, in other words, suddenly and quickly, faster than they know. The 60, the 70, 80 years is over. And they plunge into eternal darkness, into a place called hell. That changes things, doesn't it? Doesn't it change things? Lazarus, the rich man, dies, and he's so poor he begs for scraps from the rich man's table. The dogs lick his wounds. He dies and is escorted by the angels to Abraham's bosom, into the presence of God. The rich man dies and is in torment, lifts up his eyes, begging for just a drop of water. It changes everything. Let me read a scripture to you. The only extra scripture I've got today. And I'd ask the guys to put it on the screen. It's Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. We know that part very well. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Ah. but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Aha. So if we we follow God now, there's something for us that will save our lives. But if we choose to save our life now, ultimately in eternity, we will lose it. Then he says this. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? So so he goes to one of the Hollywood elites. The guys that are making $25, $26, $27 million a year. Or perhaps a sports figure that makes even more than that. And they are anti-God. They're the ones that tell us how stupid we are for believing in faith and all those things. So, so let me ask you a question. Um, so what would you give in exchange for your soul? And I, said, I don't believe in that soul business. You see, I don't believe in God. So I don't believe in the soul business. Okay, So, so it's not worth anything to me. Let's fast forward, and now he's 89 years old. He's on his bed, gasping for breath, one heartbeat from eternity. Then we ask him, what will you give in exchange for your soul? And you know what the answer is? Anything and everything. See, wealth is temporal. When he dies, the wealth stays here. The wealth stays here. And Jesus says that. So, so, so... Friend, what would you give in exchange for your soul? You know? What profit? What what profit is it? If you're wrestling with the rich thing right now. So let's say you could change places. Let's say you could change places and you could be the wealthy person, but you didn't have Jesus. So 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 what what would you exchange? Okay, what would a man profit gain the whole world? Or what would it exchange? So so would that be a good trade, would you say? If you could have all the money right now that you wanted, but in the end you spend eternity in a place called hell, separate from God, would you make the deal? Would you make the deal? No, no, you wouldn't. That's what us has discovered. That yeah, they may have all that now, but but the deal is this: they get all that, and they are eternally separated from God. Not for seventy years, not for eighty years, not for ninety years, but for all eternity. You know, you don't, it's not like a french fry. You don't fall into the grease and burn up eventually. Hell is a place of eternal punishment where you burn and you burn and you burn and you never burn up. I'm not trying to scare you. That's just what the Bible says about hell. So again, what kind of deal would it be? It'd be a terrible deal. It'd be a horrible deal. So he goes on and says this. This is what I call the myopic life. This is what life looks like for those with spiritual um, apathy. When I became embittered, and you, you do, you become bitter. When, when, when you've got this short vision and he's got it and you don't, you get bitter toward God. You get bitter toward other Christians. Life just becomes a real bitter journey. When I became embittered and my innermost being was wounded, you feel wounded. You feel abandoned by God. I was stupid and, and didn't understand. I was an unthinking animal towards you. He said he got so blinded where nothing made any sense anymore. It got worse and worse and worse and worse. The more he thought about it, the more distant he got from his God. And it was odd enough to say, I was like a stupid animal towards you. I mean, nothing made any sense to me. Verse 23. Yet, I love this. If you're an underliner, write this down. Yet, I am always with you you hold my right hand. Even when the spiritual myopathy, even when he could not see, and when even when he was going and saying, but they and I don't. But they and I don't. Did God abandon him? Did God say, adios, amigos. You try it out. Do you think you like it? Go on. I don't think God has a Hispanic accent. And that was probably a very feeble attempt anyway. David will tell me after church, I promise you. No. I love this. Let me just capitalize on how we're doing. You were doing pretty good. Let me just listen. Yet I am always with you. In other words, God, you're always with me. I'm always with you. You hold my right hand. Now, was he holding on to God? Or was God holding on to him? Come on now. Come on, you badness. God, God had him. Watch this. His, not his hand of weakness. Not his left hand. But God held him by the right arm. I am so glad. Let me tell you something. I'm glad God's not fair. Because in fairness, I would split hell wide open. In fairness, every time I slipped up, God would say, I am done with you. You you go work at Walmart because you're done with the preaching business. Uh -uh. He holds us you don't take anything else home, take that home. Man, no matter where you are in your journey, God will not leave you. He will not forsake you. He holds on to you. Take it home. Take it home. How powerful. Why do you know that? Because it's not based on my performance, but based on his grace. That's why. That's why. It's not me performing so God hangs on to me. It's God loving me and by his grace and my sins forgiven by the cross. Holding on to me. Woo. I preach, son. Verse 24. You guide me. This is, this is life here. This is life here. You guide me with your counsel. Write that down. In other words, as we journey, one of the great benefits of being a child of God is not wealth and riches, though that may happen. is not perfect health, and that may happen. But it's the guidance of God. That God guides us for our good, as he sees it, and his glory. Our good and His glory. He guides us through life. But it gets better than that. And afterward, after this life, you will take me up in glory. <laughs> and that, see, isn't cool? This psalm needs no commentary. Said, God is going to guide me through life as I follow Him. And then when I die... He is going to take me up to glory. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I, I go to a place for you. And if I go to a place for you, I'm going to come again and receive it in myself that where I am there, you may be also. I mean, wow. Now, now, you've got to be wondering. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Maybe this makes sense after all. Maybe, maybe it's true that the wicked, not, not wealthy people, because there are a lot of great Christians who are, are wealthy. But, but, but the wicked people who have wealth... If, if that's all they get And they die And it's been eternity Separated from God And, and, and even though We may not have much We have much But by the lines Our sins are forgiven And knowing that We're going to spend Eternity with Jesus Wow Doesn't that not make sense So time for the summary So Verse 25 Who do I have in heaven But you Well there's no other God Is there How many gods are there in heaven There's one It's a rhetorical question There is no other God It gets better and I desire nothing on earth but you. He can't find any conclusion. Wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. Now listen, 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 listen. If you got Jesus, you got enough. Well, Dwayne, yeah. If you got Jesus, you got enough. Now, if you got religion, you got shortchanged. If you got the giant scale, you really got shortchanged. If you're trusting in works, you really got shortchanged. But if you got Jesus and God's amazing grace and the atonement for your sins on the cross... Whoa! You've got a deal. I mean, better than Target or Walmart ever thought about. Better, better than an iPhone for 99 cents. you got a deal. You've got a wonderful thing. Who do I have on earth but you? And I desire nothing on earth. I mean, what can top Jesus? I told you last week, you know, if I die and this was all wrong, and I just die like a dog and I'm in the grave, I've lost nothing. I've had an incredible life. If you're wrong, and this is all true, you lost everything. Hey, Mr. Richman, who who got your Lamborghini, and you got your fancy parties and clothes, I'm telling ya, you, you lose in the end. Come to Jesus now. He's worth it all. If it costs you every dime you got, sir, it is worth it all. Jesus. Nothing matches. Jesus is worth everything. Everything. He goes on and says this. You got to like this. I mean, he's got to. My flesh and my heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. Translated, Jesus never fails. He'll never abandon you. He'll never forsake you. What he says is true. What he promises is true. Those, here's the bottom line those far from you will certainly perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. Bottom line. Without Jesus, you won't make heaven. If you're here today and you're here without Jesus, and by the way, all your religion won't get you heaven either. I want you to understand that. I don't care how many churches you've joined and how you might have water in your ear from your last baptism. But if you don't have Jesus, you won't make heaven. The bottom line is this. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And he says whether you sin greatly or in your eyes, sin small. Whether you are black or white, rich or poor, green or yellow, whether you live in Southwest Acres or, or the apartment complex somewhere. Whether you have no money in the bank or a lot of money in the bank. He says, come. If you'll turn from your sin, believe in what I did, that I have atoned for your sin and choose to follow me. I will forgive your sins pretty cool isn't it now come on isn't that cool I just love it I mean, it's not like God says you gotta you know you gotta be you know like have lots of hair like Joe when I baptized Joe I didn't know if I was gonna pull him up because his hair weighed so much that would not be the problem with me you know I wouldn't have that problem verse 28 but as for me not, not the other group but as for me God's presence is my good. It will be worth it all. Jesus is enough. It's it's worth it all. I have made the Lord God my refuge. And here's the reason why. So I can tell you all about it. All that you do. See, there's a time to talk too. There's a time not to talk. And there's a time to talk. You ever see little thing in restaurants that says, If the service was good, tell others. If the service was bad, tell us. Okay, if God disappoints you, talk to Him about it. Okay? If God's, you know, if you're on yay God, tell everybody. Tell everybody. Now give me, give me three minutes, I'm going to touch one more thing. It's important. Because you're here today. And you are a believer. And you've got it figured out. Them wicked people, Yep, preacher, you're right. They've got it now, but boy, later. I have a question, teacher. Yes. What about my brothers and sisters who are rich? I mean, we're all on the same team. Why do they have lots and I have so little? Well, here's what I want you to understand. Again, don't have spiritual myopathy. The truth is, God blesses some people with more than others. I, you know, I I keep telling people, you know, for who Dwayne Taylor is, the fact that I got pastored two incredible churches in my, in my history, it's just really there are guys with a lot more education than me, Doctor So and So, and they never got to pastor a church like Dorisville you know. And they're going, "What's up with you, dude? I mean, you can use bad grammar, you know? What's up? Here's the deal: don't have spiritual myopathy Don't stop here, because here's the deal." If you're here today and you look and say it just doesn't seem fair you know I I serve God I know they serve God too but I serve God why didn't God just you know if wealth of the curse would just spite me a little bit? Don't forget this. And I believe this. I don't have time to expound in scriptures but I think you'll agree with me. Heaven and the rewards of heaven is judged on the same scale. The rewards, not your salvation. The rewards of heaven are judged on the same scale. So here's what I'm trying to say. If you make a million dollars a year And you give $100,000 to God. Okay? I believe, let's just just hypothetically say this, that when you get to heaven, God would say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Hey, you're faithful with what I gave you. But here's the part I want you to miss if you make $1,000 a year and you give $100 a year to God, same reward. God's not impressed with six figures, God's impressed with faithfulness. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? So, so yeah, I know we all. You know, again, I you know we all like to have a little bit more here maybe, but the bottom line is eternity is what matters. Okay, 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 okay. So your gift, your spiritual gift, your your spiritual talent is changing diapers in the nursery. So so you're in line. Your name is Graham, okay, and your name is Charlie Graham, and you're right in line behind Billy Graham. Okay, you're in heaven, and I know this is all crazy, but yeah. So, Billy Graham steps up to Jesus at you know, the judgment seat of Christ and says, Billy, you were really faithful. Man, you're crusade. Hundreds of thousands of people were saved. You are faithful to the word of God. God bless you. Amen. You're into your reward. And then Charlie Graham walks up. And Charlie was faithful in what God called him or her to do. It could be Charlie girl or Charlie boy. And so, so she, you, know, Jesus, you know, she was called to, to love babies in the nursery. And I don't think that's being facetious. I don't think that's being facetious. And so she was faithful in what God asked her to do. So you know what she's going to hear? You're faithful. Come to your reward. So whether you can stand and talk 45 minutes with a microphone, or whether you teach a Sunday school, or whether you're changing diapers, or whether you led crusades, I'm telling you, God honors faithfulness. In eternity, the reward's going to be there. I This is incredible. So... So if you're sitting here going, I wish I had more. I understand that. We all probably would. But just understand, the ground is level in eternity. We all have the same opportunity for reward in heaven. All God says is be faithful. Be faithful. Be faithful. And do what I've called you to do and gifted you to do. Use your exercise of your gifts. And I will reward you in time to come. Now, now, closing thought is this. Tonight, we kind of have a tie-in scripture with that. Okay, this, it's kind of a tie-in scripture um, to this. So, so, if you'd like to hear a little bit more, it'd be different, but it's a little bit more along the same lines. Come back tonight at six o'clock when we have worship. So, so let's, let's do our bottom line real quick. One, number one: if you hear about Jesus, I don't care how good your life is or how bad your life is, the bottom line is God loves you. God loves you enough that He sent His Son Jesus Christ to die on a cross. He, Jesus did what you could not do. You could never atone for your sin. You could never get good enough to come to God. But because Jesus died for our sins and we become his righteousness, the Bible says. And if we choose to turn from our sin and follow Jesus and believe in Jesus, then we can be forgiven of our sins. It's huge. Okay? If you're here today and you've never done that, we will give you the opportunity. My brother Brent will be standing down front. We will invite you to come. We want to invite you to come and say, okay, okay. I want to know about this man who died for me. I mean, I, the idea of the thought of eternity separated from God is not cool. And the fact that God would love me and us that I didn't happen. Yeah, yeah. I won't, I won't talk about that. We'd love to have you come and talk about that. Number two, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ today, I want to encourage you this. If you feel like today, or you've had or you have right now, spiritual myopathy. That is, all you can see is up close. And you find yourself embittered. You find yourself jealous of, of the rich and famous. You find yourself going. Maybe you find yourself to the point where you started listening to what they said. Maybe you've lined yourself with some stars or or movie guys or sports guys, and you start believing what they said. Oprah somehow got on Oprah's mailing list. I am cursed.
1: (laughs) I don't know how it happened.
0: And and she's selling the same thing Olstein's selling your best life now. She has her best life now weekends. So, So maybe you find yourself listening to Dr. Phil or Dr. Oz or somebody about spiritual things. And you start going, well, now wait a minute, maybe this makes sense. Oh, listen! Whoa, whoa, whoa! Get into the presence of God. Find God and say, "Hey, God, I need you to change my perspective. I need to see the eternal and not the temporal. I need, ben, I need some good eyeglasses. I need something that's going to help me see, not here, but there, but there." And I want to close with just a word of encouragement: Keep serving God. Don't give up. It will be worth it all. Let's pray. God, this is one of those times when I really think you're incredible. I I try to do it all the time. But this morning, I really do. The fact that you preserve this teaching really from a hymn book about a man. It's his story, but it's our story. And you taught us some incredible truths today from your work. It's still the inspired word of God. Thank you for that. Thank you. And, Father, for my friend here today who's never discovered the great joy of Jesus. We sung about it so much in our worship set. God, I pray in Jesus' name that today he would understand that all that he has or she has is temporal and that they're going to be eternally separated from you. May they come into your grace this morning, receiving Christ and forgiveness as they turn from their sin. May that happen. I know you've got to draw them. I know that Jesus and the Holy Spirit only you can do that. I'm asking you to do it right now. For my brothers and sisters, I've been, you know God, 30 years now. You've called me to do this. And I've seen this issue up over and over again in people's lives. I want to pray for victory today on myself and my brothers and sisters in Christ. That we would not turn our eyes to the wicked and to this world and the prosperity that lures and pulls us. But that we will be satisfied with Jesus. If you choose to bless us a lot physically or a little physically, we will not have to let that sway us. Our circumstances will not change the fact that you are good. You are good. And thank you, Father, that again, with all the way it seems diverse in life lots of money, not very much money, lots of talent, little money you just call us to be faithful. And, and not for our salvation. But when we're faithful, there's a reward coming in a place called heaven. So I pray for that too. Love you, God. You're great. Speak to people's hearts today. May issues be settled today eternally and in our hearts and lives. And Jesus, I pray this in your name. Amen.